Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Hope you're all doing well. As Hugh just mentioned, we are in the middle of a three-part series. Uh, I think it's called Under the the Banner of Restoration. And uh, we're covering the topics of prayer, worship, and biblical community in the local church. And the reason we're looking at these three three practices is because we believe that God wants us to focus on these in the next season as a church. And uh, it's important for us with all of our different backgrounds and understandings to, to be uh, to get a biblical understanding of, of these three practices so that we're all, all aligned and, um, in the next season as a church. So today I'm going to be attempting to cover the topic of, of worship. And I say attempting because I definitely don't know everything there is about worship. Um, but worship is, worship is one of those things that we, we do often as a church. We do it very well. We enjoy it, I think. Um, and it's, it's also one of those things, though, that we can easily fall into a routine of, right? We can, we can do it without even thinking sometimes. Um, and if, we, if we're not careful, if we, if we don't understand worship or, or true worship, we might start to wonder why we do it, why we spend time at church singing together, why we worship at home by ourselves. Um, so today I'm hoping that we can take some time to go through uh, the Bible a little bit and, and understand God's definition of worship for us. So our, our kids have this, uh, this toy vacuum cleaner, and uh, you, you might have seen these before. They're, they, they kind of look like real vacuum cleaners. They, they can be pushed around like real vacuum cleaners. They sound like real vacuum cleaners, um, but they don't actually clean anything, right? Um, so I remember Elliot, when he was younger, he used to love helping out around the house, and he still, he still sort of does. Um, but whenever Kalina and I would start vacuuming, he would, he would run and grab his vacuum cleaner, and uh, he would... Um, just start vacuuming, right? He would start helping us. And, um, sorry. <laughs> but, you know, in his mind, he, he thought he was just being the most helpful kid, right? Um, he, he looked to, he had what looked to be the right equipment. He was making the right motions. He was copying us, right? And, uh, and the machine was making the right noises, too. To him, there was no difference in what he was doing to what we were doing. But in reality, he was far from accomplishing what he was truly intending, right? And, and it, um, actually, he was actually making things a little bit harder for us because he was oftentimes pushing hair to where we had already vacuumed or he was getting in our way, you know. But this is, this is similar to how worship can become to us if we're not careful, though, right? Um, this reality of many who attend church or consider themselves Christians today. Uh, for some of us, we might feel like we're going through the right motions, um, or we're, we're doing the correct worship tasks, but in reality, we could be far from true worship. So just like Elliot doesn't really understand what it means to vacuum, maybe some of us have grown up going to church, but we never understood what true worship is. And we might be starting to wonder, what's the point of worship? Why do we spend uh, half an hour plus singing songs together? Uh, is worship just the, the appetizer, as Hugh said, to the sermon? Uh, or is, is, it, is it more than that? 
And the answer to that last question, in case you were wondering, is no. It's not just the appetizer, as Hugh said. Uh, it's a lot more than chips and guac, even though chips and guac is pretty great. So just to begin, what, what is worship? What does it mean to, to worship? When I ask that question, a few things might come to mind. You might think of a particular worship session that you were in that was really powerful to you. Uh, you might think of a person who lives a life of worship or lived a life of worship. And you might just think back to what we just did together as a church, right? Recently, I came across a, a very high-level definition uh, that was helpful for me to understand the boundaries and, and freedom of worship. It's by a, uh, a guy who wrote a book about worship, and basically he says this, worship is an engagement with God on terms that he proposes and he alone makes possible. Worship is an engagement with God on terms that he proposes and he alone makes possible. So first of all, when we are worshiping God, we aren't worshiping at him, right? Just like when we're praying, we're not praying at God. We're speaking with God. He hears us and he answers our prayers. And in the same way, when we truly worship God, we're engaging with him. He sees our worship, he hears our worship, and he, he responds to us in worship. We also see from this definition that when, when we're truly worshiping, we're doing so on his terms, in terms that he only makes possible. We already know what this looked like in the, the Old Testament, right? The Israelites were given very special instructions, specific instructions through Moses on how they were to approach God's presence. Um, and they, how they did that, they, they needed to purify themselves. They needed to go through the high priest and go through the sacrificial system. And these weren't just rules for the sake of rules, right? They, they needed to do this because of, of their own sinfulness and of God's holiness, right? It was impossible for the Israelites to approach God unless they, they did these terms, went through these terms. And the same goes for us today. All of us were, were born into sin, right? It's, it's impossible for us to approach God on our own terms. But out of God's mercy, God made a way for the Israelites to acceptably approach God through the sacrificial system and through the high priest. And he did this because of his love for them and because they were his chosen people. And now today, we as Christians, we have given an even better way to approach God, to enter into his presence for worship. Out of God's mercy and love, once again, this was made possible for us through Jesus. Jesus was, was sent as a man to live a perfect life on our behalf. He, he died on the cross as a sacrifice for us. And Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses. He was resurrected, defeating death forever, eliminating the need for us to make any other physical sacrifices. So for those of us who, who believe in him, who have repented and have accepted the free gift of salvation, we are now able to freely approach God in worship. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we now have direct access into God's presence. It doesn't need to uh, take place in a physical temple or through a high priest, a, a physical high priest as it did for the Israelites. But instead it takes place by the Holy Spirit in our own hearts because of our, our eternal high priest, Jesus. So this is the, the first point about worship. worship. Worship is an engagement with God, defined by God, made possible by God. It's a, it's a gift from God for us. It's something that's only made possible by him. 
And in order to engage in true worship with God, we, we, first, we first must be reunited with him. So the next, uh, the next point, I want to take a look at a couple passages in Revelation to give us examples of what worship should look like for us. In, uh, in Revelation 4, this is the passage we're probably familiar with, John is recounting what he saw in, in this vision of heaven. Uh, he, he's seeing the throne of God in heaven. And this is an amazing picture for us to imagine. Uh, he tells us, without ceasing, there were four living creatures that surrounded the throne of God, and they would continually bow down before God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, just like we sang about this morning. And whenever the living creatures did this, there were 24 elders that also surrounded the throne. And Revelation 4 says that the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then in Revelations 5, John recounts a, a new song that was sung to God, uh, this time to the Lamb, to Jesus, who had just taken his place on the throne. The four living creatures and the, four, the 24 elders fell down before the throne again, this time singing, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seal, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they, they will reign on earth. So there, there's one thing from these passages that I wanted to emphasize, and that is the, the reverence that is displayed by the elders in both their actions and their words. Uh, the first example we see is when, they, when the elders are laying down their crowns before the throne, right? Um, this is obviously a, a very significant picture of reverence. Crowns can uh, symbolize anything that the elders have achieved or they did achieve in the past. And what the elders are saying when they're laying down their crowns is that despite any accomplishments that they achieved, any good things that they have done, only God is worthy, worthy, truly worthy to receive any glory and honor. And we also see uh, this reverence in the words that are sung out by the elders. In chapter 4, the elders are revering God for his part in creation. They proclaim that all things, everything that exists, was created by God, by the will of God. Nothing was created on its own, accidentally, or by anyone else. Everything was created by God and exists because of God. And then in chapter 5, the elders fall down again, this time revering Jesus, who had just taken his place on the throne. They proclaim that Jesus is worthy of their reverence because of his self-sacrifice, right? Because he, he purchased God's people back for him. And, and both of these passages are examples of how we should worship throughout our lives. Throughout our entire lives, we are to live with the same reverence towards our God who created all things and through whom all things exist. In everything we do, we are to give glory and praise to Jesus, revering him for his sacrifice for us, even making a way for us to worship him. So have, have you ever been in a situation where you feel like your, you felt like your thank you wasn't enough? Maybe uh, somebody did something for you or gave you something, and you just felt like the words thank you weren't enough, right? Um, I wasn't always a, a grateful kid growing up, but I remember there were some specific times where my parents would either give me something or do something for us, and, 
And uh, I just felt like my words, thank you, weren't enough. So I would just say it over and over and over again to the point where they got sick of me saying it and probably regretted whatever they did for me, right? <laughs> and this is, this is similar to how we should be in worship. Uh, we, we should never feel satisfied in our hearts that we have given enough reverence and thanks to our God. Uh, not out of guilt or obligation. We should have an unresting and unquenchable desire to give glory to Jesus with our words and with our lives. Just like we sang this morning, a thousand hallelujahs, right? Even that's, a thousand isn't enough. Our God is the only one who is truly worthy of all of our worship that we could bring for eternity. Any combination of words that we could form would not be adequate enough to describe the worth of our God. No amount of praise would be enough to revere Jesus for his sacrifice for us. So when we, when we worship either by ourselves at home or together as a church, we should do it with this heart and with this mindset. When we worship in, in song or by ourselves together, it's a song either by ourselves or together as a church, we should do so like David, who in 2 Samuel danced with all his might as the ark was brought into Jerusalem. He didn't care what he looked like to others, even though he, he probably looked pretty crazy. Uh, he was just so joyful about the Lord's presence being brought into Jerusalem. Amen. And in the same way, we should unashamedly both worship personally and together with our actions and with our voices. You don't need to know anything about music. You don't need to know how to sing in key even. Uh, the important thing is that each of us are coming with our eyes fixed on Jesus. You don't need to have a voice like uh, Carrie Job or... Justin Bieber, to worship out loud, but you, you do need to have a heart of reverence and worship for God. He wants us to revere him joyfully and unashamedly. Just like Hugh said last week about prayer, we don't need to be articulate or have all of our, our words figured out when we pray. The same is with worship. We don't need to know how to sing or play an instrument. What matters is our hearts when we worship together that we are united in our reverence, singing out together to worship our God. So that's the, the second point about worship I wanted to go through. Uh, we see that in the Bible, worship is ultimate reverence towards God. And, uh, and thirdly, I wanted us to take a look at a, uh, a pretty challenging one, but bear with me, please. Uh, this, is, uh, this is that worship is a heart and a life that is totally surrendered to God. So we saw this first in the, the two passages in Revelation we just looked at, uh, with the posture of the elders. They fell down and surrendered before the throne, demonstrating that they are completely surrendered to God and his glory. And we also see this in, in Romans chapter 12. Paul is speaking to the, the church of Rome in a letter and He's instructing them on how they should live as a result of God's mercy and giving them salvation. Before this chapter, Paul is outlining that uh, everything that God did for them, he, he had mercy for them, um, he, he sent Jesus as a sacrifice on their behalf, he grafted them into the family of God. And then now uh, Paul is urging the Christians in the Roman church to respond to this mercy. He says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul is using a familiar imagery here, the, the idea of sacrifice, right, that the Israelites are familiar with by this point. 
And though Christians are no longer required to make physical sacrifices because Jesus satisfied the need for sacrificial offerings, Paul is urging the Christians in Rome and us to become ourselves living sacrifices. He encourages us to offer our own bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And so this is the challenging part. Paul isn't saying here that we are only to offer our eyes to him once a day when we're reading the Bible, right? Or we're only to offer our ears uh, or our voices at church when we're, when we're singing together, right? He urges us to respond in a, in a much more extreme way. He's saying, uh, he tells us to give our entire bodies, our, our entire beings, really our hearts to him all the time, 24-7. As Christians, we're, we're called to submit ourselves to God at all times, to be obedient to his call over our lives, to submit to him, serving him full time in everything we do. A.W. Tozer once wrote, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you do, not off, you do not worship him one day a week. So when we, when we do not offer our, all of ourselves to God first, we are offering ourselves to other things, right? Our careers, our self-image, our comfort, our families, our finances, all of these things have the potential to be good things. But if we try to divide ourselves and give half of our bodies to God and half of ourselves to these other things, we're really just fooling ourselves, right? And we're doing this, we're, we're creating idols for ourselves and, and placing them on the throne with God. When I was in, in college, I spent a summer in China for my internship. And uh, I remember uh, I was visiting a couple of the Buddhist temples when I was there just to gain an understanding of how people worship. And there was this one temple in particular that had a, a, a cave that was dedicated to discarded idols. Basically, when, when somebody upgraded their idol, maybe got a new fancier idol, they, instead of throwing away their old idol, they would bring their old idols to this temple and place them on a shelf in this cave. Um, I'm guessing that, that way, if they wanted to in the future, they could always revisit their old idols and catch up like old friends, you know, whatever you're supposed to do with idols. Um, but as we can see from this word from Paul, this is not how we as Christians are to live, right? We can't, we can't live surrendered to God most of the time and then every so often revisit our old idols, our old shelf of idols, right? It doesn't mean that we can't do well in our jobs or in our families. It's actually quite the opposite. We are called to become a living sacrifice devoted to doing everything for the glory of Jesus. And it's from this place of surrender to God's will and glory first that we do everything else. Just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Or like it says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So again, I'm not saying this is easy. This is challenging even for me. Um, and it's usually not an overnight thing that we can accomplish, right? But that's, that's why the God gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is empowering us to get to this place. He is pruning us. And, and if we allow him, he's helping us gradually surrender more of ourselves to him. So th this is the type of worship that we are called to as Christians. Um, worship that is a heart totally surrendered to God. And what happens as a, a, a result of our unashamed reverence towards God and what happens when we live lives of surrender. 
as a result of this as a result of this worship, we already know that God is glorified for one, um, but a few other things happened that I wanted to highlight as well. C.S. Lewis once said, previously I did not see that it is in the process of being worshiped that God communicates his presence to mankind. So just like we saw earlier, worship is an engagement with God. As we approach him in worship, as we draw near to God, God will draw near to us and communicate his presence to us. Just like James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? When we worship God, he reveals his presence to us. And when we are in his presence, he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit, just like he was saying earlier. He gives us direction individually and corporately as a church. He brings healing and freedom and restoration. We see examples of this throughout the Bible. In the, in the Old Testament, when Judah was surrounded by its enemies, they began to, to worship and sing praise to God. And in 2 Chronicles 20, it says, As they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the man, men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. So despite their circumstances, the people of Judah decided to worship. They chose to worship the Lord. And they saw God defeat their enemies as a result. Uh, Billy, Billy Graham once said, Worship is a declaration of our weaknesses and of God's strength. So when we worship, we are acknowledging that we are limited, but that God is limitless. Another example, when Paul and Silas were in prison, you might remember this from the book of Acts, they prayed and sang hymns to God throughout the night. And as they were worshiping, God freed them physically from their chains. And uh, though they didn't use the opportunity to escape, the others in the prison, including the guards, heard, and heard their worship and they saw what happened and they were saved as a result. So when, when we worship God in our individual lives and corporately, we are inviting his presence. And in his presence, he can bring healing and freedom from sin or trouble in our lives and in the lives around us. Just like it says in 2 Corinthians 3, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And continuing on in the, in the verses, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we also see from this passage that when we, when we spend time in God's presence in worship, he transforms us more into, our, into his image. We, we grow in relationship with him during these times. Uh, the more time we spend in his presence, the more we learn about him. He refines us and shapes us into men and women that reflect more of his image. And as a result, our love and affection for him will increase. We will want to spend even more time in his presence. Brother Lawrence, a 17th century monk known for his intimate relationship with God, said this, The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. We will learn to love him equally in times of distress or in times of great joy. Also, others who, who don't know God will begin to see our worship in the fruit of our lives and will desire the same freedom that we have. As we worship, God reveals himself to, to those around us as well. 
as we worship as a church and individually, God will begin to reveal himself to our families, our friends, to the people in this neighborhood, to the people in this city. God is using each of us as a testimony to those around us. It says in, in Psalm 40, he has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what the Lord has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. So that, that's why we at Restoration believe that worship is so, such an important time, uh, something, some, uh, something so important for us to do individually and together when we're gathered together. Because we know that all of these things happen when we fix our eyes on Jesus and when we're united to, to worship him wholeheartedly. So just to kind of sum things up now, what, what is worship? How do we know if we are engaging in true worship? First, we saw that worship is an engagement with God that is defined by God and is only made possible by God himself, right? Meaning that the only way for us to truly approach God in worship is through the path that he has made for us in Jesus. So I just, I'm going to encourage you to, this morning, if, if you do not know if you have been reunited with God, if you are unsure if you are saved, please come talk to myself or one of the other leaders after the service because there, there's definitely freedom in how we can express ourselves in worship, but we first need to be reunited with God through Jesus in order to do that. Second, we saw that worship requires our, our reverence to the one who is deserving of all praise and glory. We must be like Paul who, who made Jesus his highest treasure in life. Like he says in Philippians 3.8, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. So this is the level of reverence that we should have towards our God. And then finally, we saw that worship does not just take place once or, or twice a week at church, right? It, it doesn't just take place in our morning devotion times or when we're listening to worship music. We are called to worship with our entire lives. And in order to do that, we must offer our, our bodies as a living sacrifice, our entire beings, and everything that we do, whether we're, we're working or eating or sleeping or watching Netflix, we are to, to do it to worship our God. Can we pray now? God, you are worthy of all praise. You and you alone are worthy of all praise. We praise you this morning for your work in creation, Lord, for, for, for that all things were created by your will and your will alone. We praise you for your mercy and for your love, Lord, for making a way for us to worship you, for saving us, Lord, through Jesus. God, we ask that you would give us hearts of worship, hearts that revere you in everything that we do, Lord, that are, are fully surrendered to you. Help us, Lord, to, to surrender more of ourselves than we even thought was possible to you, Lord, because you are deserving of all of us, deserving of all, all that we can bring, Lord. Thank you for this time this morning, Lord. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, 
as well as on Facebook and Instagram.